0: Well, turn with me in your Bibles today the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. As I said, I've been doing a series called Uncharted, and we chose that because Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit would be our God. And how many know a God is someone who leads us into the future? Uh, we have been t- uh, The purpose of this series is to hopefully help you become more acquainted with the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. Uh, my desire and I hope your desire is that his presence and his power would be operative in our lives each day the first actually the first three messages we're going to look at primarily what Jesus had to say about the Holy Spirit uh, the first week we talked about have uh, the Holy Spirit Jesus said would convict us of sin righteousness and judgment that he would guide us that he would reveal things to us that he would show us hidden things How many know God's not bound by the things that bind us? How many know God knows the future from the beginning? God is, as the Bible says, omnipresent. God is all-knowing, and God, Jesus said, would reveal things to us. He would also be, Jesus said to us, the abiding presence of God. Now, this is where we focused last week in the second message, John 14, 17. Jesus said the spirit of truth, talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you know him, for he dwells with you... And he will be now that's an incredible thought just a moment the god who created the worlds the god who created the heavens somehow his presence is in my life as a christian you see a christian is more than just a belief in doctrine a christian is someone who has received christ as their savior someone that's repented from their sins someone's a follower of the lord and that change inside, that, that renewal of values and priorities, that, that spiritual difference that's, that's happened to us, is because the Spirit of God is somehow at work in our lives. And we explored that last week, but we'll continue this week as we move towards the book of Acts. Uh, we'll see what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit and spiritual power. We're talking about the supernatural. We're talking about the gifts that we'd see demonstrated in the New Testament. Uh, their purpose was to draw people to Christ. We'll see this morning, too, about the different types of baptisms. Uh, The key thing we'll talk about this morning is what Jesus called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. What in the world does that mean? We'll explore it together. We'll talk about the first day that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and and the believers were baptized on the day of Pentecost. And then we'll talk about two philosophies in Christianity. One is cessationism. One is continuationism. One philosophy believes that basically the supernatural aspects of the of the New Testament, the gifts of the Spirit, that that was relegated to the past. It either closed, it either stopped when the when uh, uh, the apostles died or when the canon was closed. The other believes that the, what what happened in the Book of Acts was not just a history of the church, but a paradigm, a model, an expectation for what could happen in in and through believers' lives today. Uh, I've chosen to believe continuationism. I've chosen to believe the Bible as it's written, and uh, whether you believe that or not, you're welcome in this church. But I would encourage you to give me a fresh listen this morning, because Jesus talked about the necessity of the Holy Spirit in our life to accomplish the Great Commission and bring the gospel to the whole world. So let's explore it together, Acts chapter 1, and let's see first what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit as the source of spiritual power. Now, when I talk about spiritual power, I'm talking about, uh, as I said earlier in the book of Acts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm talking about the gift of prophecy. I'm talking about helping people get freed from demonic powers. Listen, I'm grateful for medical care. I'm grateful for psychiatrists and all these different things. But how many know, you can't disciple a devil. You can't educate a devil. Jesus talked to us and showed us how demons sometimes would afflict people, and they need to be free. Uh, how many believe that the power, greater is he that is in us? Come on, that's the Holy Spirit than he, the devil, that's in the world. Well, these are expressions of, of spiritual power. We're going to spend several weeks in this message as, uh, looking somewhat of a history of the book of Acts as well to, to see what God used our, our predecessors to do. But we start this morning in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, it says, In this first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. let's pause there just a moment. The first book, Luke is the writer of the Gospel of Luke, the first book, and the book of Acts. Luke, the physician, was a traveling companion of Paul. He writes to this man named Theophilus. Theophilus was likely some person of influence there in the early church experience. Uh, Luke dedicated two books to him, but I want you to see this next phrase. It's very pertinent. He said, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, Until the day he was taken up, until the day he ascended to heaven. Now, how many know when Jesus was on this earth, he started a movement called Christianity. But how many know it didn't stop when Jesus died? It didn't stop when he was ascended. He turned the mission over to his disciples, to his followers. And we're here today as a result of what Jesus began to do and teach. And just as what Jesus did was somehow influenced by the Holy Spirit, so too we want to be yielded to the Holy Spirit and his activity in our lives. But notice verse 4. Jesus, they're talking to the disciples, and he's staying with them, and he ordered them, pretty strong words, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, Jesus was done teaching them. He was done showing them what it meant to be a follower of him. He was done showing them. You remember, he sent out the, the believers, and they went out in his name. They preached the gospel. They delivered people. They were healing the sick. It was miraculous. But Jesus said, you're not ready to go yet. I want you to wait in Jerusalem because the Spirit of God is going to start this thing. He's going to energize it in a way that he, Jesus had not. And then Jesus said this amazing thing. And I want you to hang on to that word called Promise. Because as I'll close the message today, I'll come back to that word promise because it's a promise that was not only made to the, to the readers uh, of the early Scripture, but it's made to every Christian throughout, uh, throughout history. Jesus said these words, uh, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then verse 8, So key, you will receive power, and that's the Greek word dunamis. We get the English word what? Dynamite, sure. It's a spiritual dynamite. It's a spiritual ability to be able to do works in the name of the Lord that would complement the preaching and confirm the preaching of the gospel. You'll receive this dunamis, this spiritual power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, their hometown, Judea, Samaria. It's like the counties that are adjoining them and to the end of the earth. But it's that phrase, verse 8, that is the purpose. Of our desire for the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our life so we can be a greater witness for Christ I have been a part of what's called the charismatic renewal or the the Pentecostal the neo Pentecostal full gospel spirit field whatever term you want to use to describe this idea of continuationism I've been a part of that for 40 years and I was raised as a Methodist grateful for my heritage I learned to believe the Bible learned as Christ and Savior discipled by the navigators, but came into a deeper experience with God in an Assembly of God church when I was a young young man in the Navy. And this is what my focus is on today, of what does this mean, this baptism of the Holy Spirit? But its purpose, in my opinion, was kind of lost its way. Uh, As I was a part of and observed the charismatic uh, movement, uh, even as a leader in this church, it was almost so we could have better church services. We want the Holy Spirit's power and presence so we could have more Spirit-filled church services. And it became more about uh, 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 our spirits being able to pray and worship and talk to God than about our primary purpose, which Jesus said was to be His witness. And that's the reason we're on this earth is to establish the witness of God and to reach as many people as we can with the saving knowledge of God. And Jesus told his early disciples, you need to receive this power from the Holy Spirit before you start this thing called the church. And I want to reiterate that again. They were not to begin their ministry until the Holy Spirit had empowered them. And even Jesus himself had some type connection with the Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter three, verse sixteen, when Jesus was baptized in water, he's baptized, and immediately he comes out of the water. The heavens were open. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Now, the Holy Spirit, as the third person of the Trinity, seems to be the the the, the how can I say this the uh, uh, the active demonstration of God on the earth. The Holy Spirit is the one that's that's moving through believers with spiritual gifts. Uh, he was one that was moving on the waters in creation. Um, but anyway, th- this purpose of the Spirit's power was to be a witness and fulfill the Great Commission. Now, I want to digress just a moment if I can because this word baptism is a confusing word. Jesus talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but I suggest to you, we're almost um, naive or, or in the dark about what the word baptism means. Now, I want to ask you a question. It's not a trick question, but how many, how many baptisms are talked about in the New Testament? Not a trick question, but how many? All right, how many believe one baptism in the New Testament? Let me see your hand here. Okay, two, one, two of you. How many believe in two baptisms to start in the New Testament? few more hands. Three. four? Five. I'm going all the way up to seven. And I want you to just listen to this just a second. Let, let's start with a scripture that shows us two, uh, at least two, three actual contrasting. Luke 3:15, the people were questioning in their hearts about John the Baptist whether he might be the Messiah or the Christ. And Jesus answered them and Jesus said this, here's number one, or John the Baptist, rather, I baptize you with water. Now, this word baptize means to immerse, and this is the most commonly understood definition of this, but the word baptize is from a Greek word, baptizo. Uh, there's several Greek words there in that, in that word group, but it, what we know as baptize is a transliteration. Transliteration means that they literally took the, 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 the letters from one language and transliterated or transferred them to another. So, baptizo, baptism. It was not an English word, but let's keep going. I baptize with water, but one who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, is it possible that there's three baptisms right there? Baptism in water, baptism with the Holy Spirit, a baptism of fire. Not not certainly clear what that is. It could either refer to refinement. It could refer to suffering. Some believe it's the presence of the Lord. But but I want to keep going in this. Um, As we talked about water baptism, but Mark 1, 4, uh, uh, John the Baptist added something to this. Uh, John uh, Mark 1, 4, Jesus, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a what? Baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I suggest to you repentance is largely missing from evangelical Christianity. We give lip service to it, but we so rely on the word believe... Now, listen, I, 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 I credit my salvation to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would not perish. Yes. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says you're saved by grace through faith, yes. believing yes. it's a gift yes. of God, not by works. But repentance, I suggest to you, is what makes belief happen. Yes, it is. If you can imagine that that's the cross and that's Jesus, most people live this way. They're walking their own way, doing their own thing. And periodically, they look back towards the Lord. It could be at Christmas. It could be in a crisis. You could be on top of a house in flooded Houston. And you look back, but you're still pretty much going this way. But the word repentance implies turning and changing and beginning to follow God. And this is what John the Baptist preached, not just to to practice the Jewish religion, but a turning to fully follow God. A baptism of repentance that I suggest to you is vital for every believer today. Uh, the third baptism is not one we'll experience, but 1 Corinthians 10 spoke of being baptized into Moses. Our fathers were under the cloud, they passed through the sea, and all of them were what? Yeah. Baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Now, this was not a water baptism, but again, think about the word baptism is it an uh, immersion to be submerged in? They were somehow immersed in Moses, the teachings of Moses, and following Moses, they were fully committed to him as they walked through the Red Sea, and it was, it was on, on dry ground. One that's more pertinent to us, perhaps, uh, uh, verse number four, being baptized into Christ. Romans 6, 3, all of us who have been baptized, baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, I suggest to you that this being baptized into Christ occurs at our conversion. When we are saved, somehow we are immersed in Christ. We are are submerged in Christ. We are not just touching him, but we are fully identified with him. Uh, a, a a, A sixth baptism, Mark 10, 38, Jesus asked the question, Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Think of Golgotha. Think what Jesus went through. It was an immersion in suffering. It was was to the nth degree of this identification that he had. And then, of course, the last one we talked about was this baptism in the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, why do I bring this up? Because I believe, well, it's not just my belief. It's factual that this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is very divisive in the Christian community. We all believe in Jesus. We all believe in the Holy Spirit, but somehow we have lost the. the, we perhaps have never gained the understanding of this idea of baptism, what it means. Baptism is an immersion in the Spirit. It is an anointing by the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God giving us a capacity and ability that we don't have on our own. Now, if I could summarize this briefly, there are, are four baptisms that all of us share as believers in Christ in the New Testament model. The baptism of repentance leads us to salvation. Number two, the baptism into the body of Christ happens at our conversion when the Holy Spirit places us into the body of Christ. Uh, water baptism, is the, as we saw in these children, water baptism is a symbol of the believer's identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We're baptized in water. We can see that. But lastly, this spirit baptism. Uh, The Greek Dictionary of Biblical Languages said that to be baptized in the Spirit is a religious experience involving special manifestations of God's power and presence. Now, I was not raised to believe in a a second experience, as some would call, of grace. Next week, I'm going to do a part two in this, and we're going to move from the day of Pentecost forwards, because everyone, every Christian believes that the day of Pentecost happened, but many believe that it was strictly a historical event. That it was just a one-time experience. If you'll stay with me next week, we'll walk through the book of Acts and see that on multiple occasions, believers would come to Christ. And after they would come to Christ, they'd be baptized in water. And then they would have hands laid on them. People would pray for them. And they would have this encounter with the Holy Spirit. Uh, If you can't come next week, it's Acts chapter 19. That'll leave you scratching your head right there. But anyway, uh, let's kind of move on from there. And I want to begin in the day of Pentecost now. Again, this morning, we're focusing primarily on Acts 1, what Jesus said, and now this day of Pentecost. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the day of Pentecost was the beginning of a a Spirit-empowered church. Now, this word Pentecost is is a pretty scary word. You know what it means? Fifty. Are you holding on to your chair? But yet... If you just bring up the word in some Christian circles, it makes us a little bit uneasy because there's a tension that's there. Let's explore what happened. This is when Jesus fulfilled the promise initially. Uh, Acts 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, there's several dozen disciples. They're in the upper room upstairs and they're praying. They're doing what Jesus said, wait until the Spirit of God uh, arrives in the church. Suddenly... It comes, they came from heaven a sound like a rushing, mighty wind. Now, the word wind can be translated breath or breath of God. It was a manifestation of God the Spirit. They they, they somehow heard this sound of the wind. and Because how I many know you can't see the wind any more than you can see the Spirit? This wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. And notice uh, verse 3 uh, Divided tongues of fire, which means nothing to me, but the New Century version says flames of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, fire in the Old Testament was a symbol or it was a manifestation, a theophany, when God would make an appearance. For example, the burning bush, I mean, Moses appeared at this bush and the bush was burning but nobody was adding lighter fluid to it. I mean, nobody was putting more wood on the fire. It just continued to burn because God somehow inhabited that bush. So in a very similar way, it was a, it was a picture or a sign of God. In verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to, the New Century Version says, speak different languages by the power that the Holy Spirit was giving them. That's an incredible thought. They're in the upper room praying, and as they're praying and seeking God, as they've been doing for quite a while, Christ is already resurrected, and they're just waiting, and they're not sure for what. There's this, there's this feeling or sound of wind. There's this picture of fire, and all of a sudden, they begin to speak in an unlearned language. Now, most translations call it tongues, and that's a very divisive word. That's why I chose this idea of, 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 of an unlearned language. Uh, now, I, how many speak multiple languages? Let me see your hand here. Not too many people. Well, I speak just enough Spanish to get by. I used to go on all, all our mission trips when we would go to Mexico building churches. I'd take my son when he was younger, and I learned just enough Spanish to survive in Mexico. But we used to do a lot of concrete, and they put concrete in buckets and concrete in wheelbarrows, and I learned how to say no more, no mas. No mas. and of course you know you're just kind of interacting with the Mexican brothers, and they're filling up the. But no mas, no mas. Uh, I learned how to say baño. Where's the bathroom? Uh, I-, I learned how to say huevos when I was hungry, and it came time for eggs. Uh, I- and even today, we have a lot of Hispanic people that come to our church that are learning the English language. I know how to say Dios Levendiga, glory to God, and yet their face lights up. I know how to say como se llama. What's your name? Uh, And they tell me their name and they ask me and I say Juan or Pastor Juan. I know just enough to get by. But this is something that I learned and picked up on my own. What the Holy Spirit did was supernatural. Why would it surprise us if at the Tower of Babel, remember the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament? The world had one language, but all of a sudden they're speaking different languages and it divides everyone. Well, now on the day of Pentecost, these believers are gathered in this upper room, and they're speaking a language they'd never learned. And you'd say, well, that's impossible. That needs to be your starting place for for, for your understanding of God. In the beginning, God. That's impossible. (laughs) Come on. There's so much about our understanding of life that the microscope can't define for us, that the telescope can't find, that the truth theorem can't prove. How many know God is living in another realm? And God gave them this supernatural ability to communicate in the language. Remember, it's the Feast of Pentecost. Now, the Feast of Pentecost, Pentecost means, as I said, it means 50. Uh, it was 50 days after Passover. It was also called the Feast of Weeks. It was also called the Feast of Harvest, which is very significant. Because if, we, it, it, when we, if you were to keep reading in this passage, you would see that 3,000 people came to Christ. And this was the whole purpose of why the Holy Spirit came afresh to the church. Not so they could just camp out in the upper room, but so they could have some supernatural power to aid their preaching and aid their witness so the gospel would go throughout the whole world. Now, what happened after this in the book of Acts? Thousands of people were coming to Christ when the gospel was preached with spiritual power. Now, I want you to think just a moment because, again, every Christian would agree with this. But the question is, is it just historical, or is it possible that it could be today? I want to just encourage you for just a moment to say, what if it is possible? Because clearly it was the pattern of the early church. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us this. It asks the question, how shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? Now listen, this salvation in Christ was declared first by the Lord, and then it was attested by us who heard it. This is the preaching of the gospel. But verse 4 says, God bore witness to this preaching by signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what we're talking about today. A belief that you and I would have, not trying to make something up, not trying to be weird, spooky, or foolish but simply being a vessel for the Lord where God might be able to do these same signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Spirit, and the result would be that many people would make steps to Christ. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good good hand today. Now, let let, let me keep going. Again, my question is, is this church history only, or should we expect spiritual power to be able to be a witness today? And I suggest to you that your answer will either quench your faith or activate your faith for possible supernatural ministry of the Spirit. I find that I have a great many friends that are on the other theological side of the spectrum that I am, but when people get in trouble, you know what? They're wanting somebody to pray for them that God might do something supernatural. When, when somebody has a, a child that the, the, the drug rehab program has not been able to help, when somebody has someone that's under the influence of some demonic power, come on, you'll move beyond your little theological circles because you're hungry for God to come, on, to come in and, and minister and move and manifest himself. Well, open yourself to the possibility because, again, my, my simple belief in which philosophy is true, cessationism or continuationism, Cessationism, now on the screen I'll say it's a doctrine, but it's not a doctrine because doctrines are founded by Scripture, and there's not a lot of scriptural support for this idea of cessationism. Cessationism is the philosophy that spiritual gifts, like speaking in other languages, prophecy, and healing, ceased or stopped with the apostolic age. Continuationism teaches that the Holy Spirit might bestow spiritual gifts on people other than the original 12 apostles at any time. And again, Christianity is divided over the question, and you don't have to believe like I do to be a part of this church, but I would encourage you to ask yourself the question, what if God still might do this today, and what if God might do it through me? Uh, Listen, because there is minimal, minimal biblical support for cessationism it, it's a stretch for me when I think of the model that Jesus gave to the church. Remember when Jesus went out, what did he do? Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, and then he demonstrated it. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus cast out devils. Jesus did miracles. The amazing thing is when he sent out the 12 apostles, what did they do? They preached the gospel of the kingdom, but they also healed the sick. They also, and they also uh, miracles were happening. People were delivered. But it didn't stop with those 12 then Jesus sent out 70 followers, and guess what happened? Same thing happened. And then the day of Pentecost opened the door to the whole church, and you see it not just through apostles, but you see it through elders, you see it through young people, you see it through old. They're dreaming dreams, they're having visions, they're prophesying. This is what Peter said in the last days, that God's going to pour out his spirit on Uh-oh, Would you say we're in the last days? And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will have visions. Well, that's either true or it's false. But if I open the door, how I mean, know simply opening the door to God is an expression of faith that God could move in such a fashion? It, it, it's very difficult for me just on a rational level to believe that this model that Jesus established, first with himself, the 12, the 70, the whole New Testament church would stop when the last apostle died. Rationally, it's difficult for me to believe that. So, uh, and, and there's little biblical support. So you know what I do? I choose to believe. And I don't choose to believe because of what I've experienced, because of what I've seen, because of prayer that's been answered. I choose to believe just like I believe for my salvation. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand today. It's a starting place. Now... Let's move beyond the Bible just a second to church history. There was a, one of the early fathers, his name was Irenaeus. He was born in 125 A.D. Now, just to give you a, a, a perspective, John the Apostle, the last Apostle, died in 100 A.D. So this guy is connected not only close in time, but he, uh, uh, Irenaeus was a pupil or a student of Polycarp. And Polycarp was a disciple of John, uh, of John the Revelator or of the Apostle John. So, this is very close to the New Testament era. And uh, here's what he wrote in his book Against Heresies, Book Five. He said, We hear many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and who through the Spirit speak all kinds of languages. They receive grace from Jesus and do in His name perform miracles. They drive, this is like, like you're reading the Bible. But yet, it's 100 years after the apostles had died, 50 to 75 years anyway. uh, Others see visions. They utter prophetic expressions. Others heal the sick by laying their hands on them. And the dead even have been raised up and remained among us for many years. Now you say, where'd you get that preacher? Just go to Wikipedia. That's one of the few articles I've read there that I think is pretty good. Let's keep going on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. The people's perception of the Spirit's power. Now, again, what Jesus said in Acts 1, the promise was coming. The Pente-day of Pentecost came. But look at what people said about it. Acts 2, verse 6. At the sound, the multitude came together. What was the sound? Uh, dozens of believers in the upper room were praying out loud in languages that were other than their own. It's like me beginning to just pray in French or pray in German. And there were Frenchmen and German that were around there. And obviously different from that. But there were various languages. And these people were hearing this sound. In verse 11, it's pretty incredible. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So what's that mean? That means that a person that spoke Greek, likely, that they're speaking in another language. And somebody understands that language. And in that language, it's giving glory to God, and the people are convicted of their sins. me can say that's a pretty cool thing. Verse 12, they're all amazed and perplexed. They said, what does this mean? But others mocked and said they're full of new wine. They're drunk. In other words, some interpreted what the Holy Spirit was doing. Is some fleshly thing, is some alcoholic expression, some drunkenness, and they did not believe. Some recognized the work of the Holy Spirit and some belittled it. How many know sometimes the Holy Spirit will do things we don't understand and they seem weird, but it's really not? How many know just because I think it's weird, the day of Pentecost, doesn't mean that God thought it was weird. But having said that, in 40 years having been around Pentecostal people, some of them are just downright weird. Some of them do things that... (laughs) I'm going to tell you more of my story next week. But I remember when I went in this little Assembly of God church in Ada, Alaska. I was 22, 23 years old. And and two two emotions were in me because these people, they've got their hands lifted, they're speaking in tongues. I'm scared first. I thought, what in the world have I gotten myself into? But on the other hand, I sensed the Holy Spirit. And even though some of their manifestations and actions were a little overboard, I felt God in that place. Right. <laughs> Years later, my wife and I were pastoring in Palestine, Texas, and it was a really small church. It was in the downtown area, and uh, 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 there was a guy that came to our church, and, and he was a dentist, and, and, and he was a classy-looking guy, and I thought, well, boy, he's going to make a great church member. Well, right in the middle of worship, he sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit. He gets up out of his chair, and he starts running around the whole <laughs> church going, Whoo! And you know what we all did? We just looked at We quit worshiping the Lord, and we just looked at him. And what he was doing, listen, he was having a real encounter with the Lord. And I guarantee he'd been of a, ch- a part of a church that everybody, when they sensed the Spirit, would go around and holler, woo. But I guarantee it was a little bitty church, and not hardly anybody was coming to Christ. Because they were acting like 1 Corinthians 14 when they were speaking in tongues. They were kind of scaring people, and they were driving people away. So, so how many know you can have some really good things and really bad things, but it's just like eating watermelon? How many don't, you know, when you cut that watermelon open and you see seeds, you don't throw it away? Come on, you spit out the seeds. Somebody say, say praise the Lord. Uh, let, let, me, let me wrap this up. Uh, Peter's explanation of the whole thing. Now, Peter, after all this has happened, Peter's in the upper room. It's brand new to him. He knew Jesus said it was coming. He's got a crowd of several thousand people. And notice what happens. And I want you to listen here for the four baptisms we talked about. Acts 2, verse 33. And it begins with Jesus. Jesus received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, mind you, this is what Peter is explaining to the crowd. He received the promise, and that's a key word. The promise of the Holy Spirit that he has poured out that, that which you see and hear. So there was some manifestation. Something was going on. It was not just all cerebral. It was not all just a, an intellectual, you know, r- religious tradition. They saw something and they heard something. W- wasn't this the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Sure. Uh, but he goes on, in verse 37, and when the people said, they, they heard what Peter explained. Peter talked about Christ. They said the question, what shall we do? And Peter said what? Repent. Repent. Is that the baptism of repentance? Yes, sir. Peter said, make a full turnaround. Then number three, he said, be baptized, that's in water, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Isn't the forgiveness of sins salvation? Isn't that when the whole when we are baptized into the body of Christ? So, and then he goes on to say, and you will receive the what? You got quiet. I mean, it's just the Bible that we're reading. Oh, it's not on the screen. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now verse 39, here's where I'm going to close today. And we're going to keep going with this next week. Uh, If this either intrigues you, makes you mad, or you want to straighten me out. By the way, if you want to straighten me out on this, you've got a week to do it. Just send me an email at mike.omer at churchontherock.org. And and I will will get back to you. But no. Don't, get, don't ever let anyone talk you out of your biblical beliefs unless you can be convinced that there's a more articulate or a more understandable or a more valid biblical belief. Don't be somebody influenced by every wind of doctrine. Don't be influenced by a purple shirt or a video screen. But if you read through the pages of the Bible, come on now, you need to stop. I had to ask myself the question because the first time I was personally exposed in speaking in tongues, and I I did. I spoke in an unlearned language. First time that happened, the first thing out of my mouth was, Methodists don't do this. (laughs) I'm telling you the truth. I'll explore it a little bit further next week, and you know I'm not knocking Methodists. I'm grateful for my heritage, but I faced, and then what I had to do, I had to go to the Bible. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was just like the Bereans. They searched the scripture daily to see all those things were true. But let me close with the scripture. Verse 39. Peter said, it is the promise is for you. This is the promise of the Spirit. It's for you, it's for your children, and for all who are afar off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, how many everyones in the room can I see you? Some of you, what are you, not quite sure what you are, you're multigender. I mean, what, what, what? That was a joke, okay? All who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And look at verse 41, here's the purpose. And those who received his word, the words of salvation, were baptized in water, and about 3,000 souls came to Christ. How many know that's the purpose of what we're talking about today? The Holy Spirit's involved in regeneration, but he also wants his presence to be near us, walking close to us each day, but he also wants to give us power to be witnesses for Christ. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning, and I I want to just take a moment to to close in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Just bow your head a moment and... You know, I close my eyes, not because I'm looking for some mystical experience, but because I want to get rid of the distractions. I really don't care what somebody else is doing right now. But I do care about what God wants to do in me. And Lord, every one of us in this room today, we're here because we have some interest in you. We're in a church building. We're not in a movie theater. We didn't go to a restaurant on Sunday morning. We're in a church building. Some of us came because it's our home place to worship. Some of us came because we're, we're family and, and, and children were baptized. The baptism happened in the house of God. Young believers were identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But we're here today, Lord, because most of us, we love you. And most of us want to be serious about this thing called Christianity. All of us came this morning wanting the presence of the Lord to be near. Whether it happens every week or has never happened before, there was a hope that I might find God in that place. But as we read through the pages of the Bible today, I believe it stirred in most of our hearts. What if that could happen today? What if... God could use our church, God could use me, in a supernatural way. What if the book of Acts is is not just history? What if it's a model or a paradigm for church life? Lord I'm simply choosing today to open the door of faith and believe. I'm choosing today to let my theology to be shaped by the Bible. I'm asking today, Lord, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to do everything in me that you desire. If you're joining me in this prayer right now, won't you just lift your hands to heaven and say, Lord, would you just show me the truth of the Holy Spirit? Would you just let the Spirit of God come upon me? Would you fill me, Lord, afresh with your Holy Spirit? We're told in Ephesians, we'll read next week, that we're to be continually filled with the Spirit. Not just a one-time thing, but we're to walk in the Spirit every day. That's what we want. The reality that God is near and the power of His presence. Come on, just reach out to God right now. Say, Lord, that's what I want. That's what I want to seek after. That's what I want to pursue. I want to go through the door of the presence of God. I just want to say, Holy Spirit, just come today. Just come. Not just for a moment on Sunday, but as an abiding presence to be with me every day of this week. We welcome you. Today. We're going to close with a, an opportunity for prayer this morning. We're going to sing one last song. Honored that you're here this morning. After our service, if you'd like to, we'd love to have you in the cafe. We've got donuts, we've got fruit, we've got a Bible class after that if you want to stay. But right now in this moment, if you need prayer for anything, we'd like to pray for you. We'd like to believe that God might do a miracle in your life. Maybe you're here and, and, and you want someone to pray for you that you might have this encounter with the Holy Spirit. Next week when we talk about this, we'll see that they actually laid their hands on people as a point of, of spiritual transference, not magic, but, but believing that the Holy Spirit would, would, would baptize people. If you're looking for that, we'd be honored to pray for you. We'll see in this series that one of the ways that spiritual gifts are given to people, is through what's called the laying on of hands. The Bible talks about this. Uh, that, that, Well, for example, Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that was within him that was given him by the laying on of hands of the others. We believe in that. We believe that God can deal through these supernatural things. We'll pray with you about anything. It could be for you or, or someone you know and care about. Your heart's burden for them. Let's pray about them before we go. But the most important thing I'd like to pray with you about today is your own personal salvation. I want to ask you this question, and there's no more serious question that I'd ask today. But if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Now, you might not have thought about that a lot, but I guarantee you those people that were sitting on rooftops in Houston were doing more than crossing their fingers and hoping for FEMA. I mean, we all come to places in life where we realize... God that's why Jesus came friends Jesus Christ came he lived a perfect and sinless life but he didn't come just to be on this earth for his own joy and pleasure he came because mankind uh, humanity had had a sin problem we inherited from Adam and Eve it separated us from God it's the root cause of all the problems and pain in our life Jesus came to save us from that he took our place on the cross When he said, the last words Jesus said on the cross was, It is finished. What he meant by that was, I've paid the way for people's salvation. See, Jesus has done everything he needed to do to save you and to save me. I knew that. I heard that growing up in my little country church. But I'd never taken a step to Christ. I'd never been willing to repent from my sins and turn and follow him. I believed in God, but it was only, Lord, I'm in trouble. Would you help me right quick? Thanks so much. It's Christmas. Glad to be here. Thank you. But one day, my heart was being drawn. Like, maybe your heart's being drawn right now. Maybe you're feeling a drawing to God. It's not to me. It's not to this church. That's the Spirit of the Lord drawing you to Jesus Christ. Scripture says this. As many as received Him, to those He gave the right, the power, the privilege to become sons and daughters of God even those that believe on his name. And if that's you, we'd be honored to pray with you today. And if that's you, friends, if you're wanting to make a commitment of your life to Christ or get back with Christ, if you've gotten away, when we begin to sing this song, I want to encourage you, make your way over the cross. Someone will stand there, and they would like to pray for you as you make the greatest commitment of your life. Let's go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Nick. Our prayer team is coming to the front right now. If you need prayer for anything, you come let us pray for you. Most importantly, if you need to make a step for Christ, don't let anything stop you.